Hey, welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. I am Bobby Sue, your host, and this week we have Laura Moore. Um, I give a little more of an introduction after I after this little bit, but I, I do want to give a quick couple of notes. One, um, we recorded this live in my apartment um, with Jerry from RadioInfluence.com and uh, Zoe, my cat, makes an appearance from time to time. So if, if you're hearing something odd in the background, that's her. Uh, she wanted some attention. Um, the other note is that we do talk about Laura's experience working for a domestic violence shelter, um, a transition home, actually. And I just want to give a quick little um, note about that, a heads up in case that might be something that um, could be upsetting for you. So um, just so you know that there is some discussion uh, about her experiences there and some of the things that she learned. Um, Otherwise, this is a really great episode. We talk a lot about Girls on the Run, which is a phenomenal organization and um, and really some of the background on nonprofit management. So enjoy. with me today, Laura Moore. She is the executive director of Girls on the Run Tampa Bay. Um, Girls on the Run is this amazing organization that works with young girls, uh, third to fifth grade, I believe. And they actually just started a middle school program as well. Um, Not only does it teach them some of the basics about running and working out, but it also helps them build confidence and and work on character issues and things along those lines. Um, Laura is, like I said, the executive director here in the Tampa Bay area, and she is in my apartment with me and my buddy Jerry. And (laughs) we are going to talk about how she got into that and, uh, you know, and her little path here. So... Hi, Laura. Hello. This is so exciting. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to have you. I'm a run nerd, as everybody knows, who listens to this podcast. And um, Girls on the Run has always been an organization that I've found interesting. So I'm super excited to, A, have met you, and B, to be able to give a little bit of a platform for it because it's such a great organization. It really is. Girls on the Run is just absolutely life-changing. And for those that don't know, it's an after-school program that uses running to teach girls life skills. And we're an evidence-based program um, collectively. So there's about 200 girls on the run councils across the country. And collectively, we serve about 200,000 girls a year, teaching them these really critical things like managing emotions, making intentional decisions, being respectful, things like that. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, you, when you, it took you a little bit to get to Girls on the Run. You, um, when you started, you were actually, you were interning and starting with environmental, um, yeah. Yeah, types so of nonprofits, correct? Not even, I was actually, this is a funny story. I was in the for-profit world. So when I graduated college, I was really into going green and really passionate about that. And I still am, but that was what I wanted to do with my career. And so I, I got, took a job in Chicago working for the utility company, or I was a contractor for the utility company doing energy efficiency. And I was really passionate about that work. I really believed in it. Um, but I, I found it very frustrating being in, in like the for-profit world. My coworkers, like they really cared about doing a good job, but they didn't really care about like the mission part. And like evidence of this was they wouldn't recycle. And it would like, <laughs> it would drive me bonkers. I was like, don't you know what we're trying to do here? Um, 
And so that was kind of when I realized I was like, I'm in the wrong place. Like I'm a really mission driven person. So I need, I need to try the nonprofit world. So I went back, I got my master's in nonprofit management. And then um, when I was there, I started working for a domestic violence shelter, which for me was super eye-opening because I didn't know anything about domestic violence. Like I said, I said all the things you shouldn't say, like I would just leave and it would never happen to me. And like all those things that you should not say. And I like considered myself like an educated and like a caring person. And I still said those things. And so when I started working there, I just fell in love with the work. Like I, I wanted to just share the mission and help these women and just let everyone know what domestic violence really was, you know, or what it really is. And so that was how I kind of got into like empowering women and girls. And then I've been a runner for a long time. And then um, this is when I was in St. Louis. Then I found Girls on the Run. And it was like my two absolute passions. So empowering women and girls and running in this like beautiful, joyful, sparkly package. <laughs> That's great. When did you start running? So I was a college athlete. So I played soccer through college. And then just, I didn't play soccer when I graduated. I just needed to kind of stay in shape and stay fit. And so I just kind of got into it. There was a park near my house and I'd started going for longer and longer runs. And um, like, I really loved it. And I really started loving it after an incident when I broke my headphones. And so I just had to go without music for the first time. And of course, the first time you do that, you hate it <laughs> because you're like, this is so boring. What am I doing? Um, but then I really got into it and it just became like my free time and my me time to like think about things and figure things out for myself. And so, so probably right after college is when I started getting into it. And then I've just gotten more and more into it as I've gotten older. Did, so you were a college athlete with soccer. When did you start playing soccer? Oh, gosh, like kindergarten, preschool. So I grew up in St. Louis and just growing up in St. Louis, part of that is just you play soccer. Okay. And do you have a large family? Do you have brothers and sisters who also played sports or are you an only child? I have two older sisters um, and they were both athletic, but like I, I was the one that was really like, that was my thing. Like I was the athlete, you know, like they did it cause it was fun and like kept them in shape. Uh, but it was never their thing the way like, you know, like I had all my clothes were soccer clothes. And like, that's all I wanted to talk about. And I was on like the traveling team and you know, all my friends, we played soccer. So, so for me, I think I was like really the, like the quote unquote athlete growing up. That's fun. And your family was obviously really supportive of that. I'm guessing if you're on traveling teams yeah. and I mean, those are, I, I know how intense those can get in certain suburbs of major cities, you know, with the, I, I know with, travel baseball in particular with kids and travel soccer. It's a lot of time and money and, yeah. um, and resources that get thrown that way. They were, they were very supportive. I do think one of my mom's favorite days ever was when I turned 16, I could drive myself to games. <laughs> <laughs> I think she really relished not having to go so early on Saturday mornings. Um, but they were really supportive and the teams I played on, I, I feel really lucky because we were competitive, but we had other things going on in our lives. You know, like if I had a school dance, like I went to the dance, I didn't go to the game. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so like some of my, two of two girls that I played soccer with when I started playing club team um, in sixth grade, I'm still really close to all of our parents are still really good friends. Like they've all gone to each other's weddings and um, you know, we stay in touch still. So it formed the basis of a lot of really important friendships. Oh, that's great. That's really cute. I love that. Did you, um, did you know that you wanted to work in, you know, public, you know, or nonprofit world when you were going to Spring Hill? I mean, I'm guessing 
you know, being on the soccer team was part of what helped make the decision of where you went to college. It did. Yeah. So I was recruited to play down there um, with two of the, those good friends and I loved it, but I, I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do. Like I knew I worked hard in school. I was a good student and I, I really was the rare, maybe the rare kid that enjoyed going to class. Like I almost, <laughs> I think in my college career, I skipped maybe like three classes. She just rolled that's her eyes. Like, that was that's awesome. like one week. That was uh, one day for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, I would just go. Um, but I, I remember this is funny. I haven't thought about this in a really long time. I, so I majored in English because I just, I loved reading and writing and like that kind of critical thinking I really enjoyed. Um, but I didn't know what kind of job that was actually going to translate into. And I remember in senior year, me and my still best friend, she came into my room. So I was kind of having like a little crisis about it. And we just made a poster. And, and I remember she was like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to save the world. <laughs> and, and that was my answer until we kind of like started there and then narrowed down to doing something in the environmental field. Like that was what I really cared about that. And so we started looking at jobs where I could do that thing in kind of like a tangible way and, and make money from it. So yeah, that was, that was kind of how I, I started that job search. Oh, that's so interesting. And then you also were a Hispanic studies I did. So I majored in Spanish as well. Yeah. Um, and that I just, I did that just cause I lo- like, I love language. Um, and I thought it would be a really useful talent and I don't practice it nearly as much as I should. My husband is totally fluent. Um, he'll make me practice occasionally, but I really, I really should practice a little more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's so hard with Spanish or any language. I think when you don't actually practice it. So mm-hmm. I took, I think six or had maybe eight years of Spanish between high school and college. And I can understand a little bit more than I can speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really good at speaking it if I've had a few cocktails. Uh, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Which is. I've become very confident and not self-conscious about making mistakes and you just go for it. Right. And I think there's like a part of your brain that just is like you you stop overthinking it. Yeah. And so it just happens. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. Um, but I, I've started, um, I put my ways um, on Spanish. Oh, smart. <laughs> <laughs> just to have something, you know? I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> Jerry's looking at me like I'm just ridiculous. But, um, and I know there are a couple podcasts that like do, you know, learning, but I don't know. I don't have an opportunity. One of my best friends here is, um, Italian Cuban. And so I, you know, could speak to her in Spanish all day, but do I do that? No. Um, (laughs) so it's, uh, you know, I think it's important to practice and it's good. I mean, Mm -hmm. especially with the kids that you're going to, you work with, right. You never know, you know, we do. Yeah. We serve a pretty large number of, um, Spanish speaking families. Um, a lot of it, we, we occasionally have a girl that, that is kind of in ESL and, and, you know, still struggling to learn English, but a lot of times it's the family. So we do have, Girls Room does have resources for Spanish speaking families so that they can follow along, they can register, um, you know, so that we try to make language not a barrier. Oh, that's great. Um, when you first got into the nonprofit world and were with the domestic violence shelter, what was the... Well, what led you to the domestic violence shelter first? That was just honestly happenstance. Um, I was a grad assistant 
And the executive director of the shelter where I worked had been through that same program and had reached out to the university's University of Missouri, St. Louis, and said, can you, I need some help. Can you give me a grad student for a year? And they said, yeah, sure. Take Laura. And, um, <laughs> and so I went there, but I mean, that's where I loved it. And so after the year that I was there, I was really lucky um, to be able to, I wrote some grants and did some fundraising so that I could fund my position full time so that I could stay there. Um, so it was just one of those things that the universe just put me on that path, you know? Yeah, that's fantastic. Did you, you know, how you said that there were a lot of things that you, you know, the, the initial mistakes that you made and kind of the, the shock when you first got mm-hmm. there. Um, how did you, you manage your own like mental well being while being around really tough situations and hearing really hard stories? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, for me, I think what saved me was seeing that our program was successful. That So what our program really was, so we were really transitional housing. So our like, because you can stay in a shelter for basically 30 to 90 days and no one can rebuild their life in 30 to 90 days. Like that's no. insane. Um, so we were, so in our program, it was transitional. So uh, women in their families could stay for up to two years. And it was, was actually time to rebuild them, get them job training get their lives sorted out, like legally, you know, get divorced, go through all that um, and have support and a safe place to do it. And we were, we were confidentially located. So like we really were safe for them. Um, and for me, cause I mean, hearing some of these stories were like atrocious. I mean, they make my skin crawl still thinking about them and, but seeing women when they were successful and they could stand on their own two feet, I think really helped think, okay, I've seen like the darkest, pit that you can ever imagine. And now I see someone coming out of it and, and living their good life and, you know, being able to, like I said, just stand on their own two feet was, I think, very helpful in, re- in reminding us to keep going even when you felt like giving up. Right. What was the hardest day you had at work there? Ooh. Um, we had one day. So, my, so in my role, I did, um, I was much more on like the development fundraising side. Um, so, you know, my con, I wasn't like an advocate, you know, like a social worker. So we did have one day where, um, I'm trying to think we had one, we had a a woman in our, um, you know, in our program who she was going, her, her husband, I don't know if he was her husband or just boyfriend. I don't remember if they were married or not, but we're on, he was on trial for attempted murder because he had tried to murder her. And some documents got over to him that they weren't sure that they had blacked out our address. And that was the first time I really understood what these women were, were going through because I was scared for my own safety. You know, previously I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so awful. You know, like I want to help these women. And that was the first time where I felt just a tiny little bit of the fear that they felt because this guy, if, if we found out later that it had been blacked out, but you know, if this guy had been wanting to find her, he would have, he would have come and found her and he would have killed her. And you could have heard a lot of us and the other women and the other staff members there. And so I think that was, that was a really eye-opening day for me. When, um, when you think back to those days working at the domestic violence shelter, what do you wish you had known prior to starting there? Oh, this was the, this is the most important lesson I took away from that, uh, from that time was we think of domestic violence as a choice, right? That woman, she's choosing to stay, you know, 
but really there's no choice involved. And I remember we had a diagram in front of us and it was like, if you choose to go, you know, I had a whole bunch of choices, but like one of them was like, if you choose to go, um, you won't have any money because your husband keeps all the money from you. But if you choose to stay, you don't have any money because your husband doesn't allow you to have any money. And if you choose to go, you know, you're not going to be able to see your children. And if you choose to stay, your husband is going to use those children as a weapon against you, you know? And, and like the final choice was if you choose to leave, your husband's going to kill you. If you choose to stay, he's going to kill you. And it's like, so there's not really actually a choice. And so I think learning that was, was really important. And that's something, that's a message I try to tell people. It's not a choice, you know, like these, and I, I hate the, the term even domestic violence. I think that was, I think Joe Biden said that was like one of the worst things that we've done to it is just term it something separate, you know, like, oh, it's domestic. It's in the house. It's, it's not as serious right. when right. it really is. So, so just learning the, the lack of power and lack of control that, that women have in that scenario, I think is, was a really good lesson to take away. Are you, um, and I, I'll preface this by saying, I hope that you haven't had to utilize these skills. You know, I hope all your friends and family have been safe, but have you, have you been able to maybe have some of those tough conversations with people in your life that you noticed weren't in the best of situations? Yeah. It made me much more aware of, of things previously. You know, if my friend would be in a bad relationship, I'm thinking of one specifically, I would just say like, Oh guy, such a jerk. Like, Oh my gosh, what are you doing? And then after I, I worked there, I was like, oh, this is abusive behavior. This is, this is like on a spectrum and this is getting progressively worse. Um, so recognizing that was a big one. And a lot, because a lot of times people think of, of physical violence. That's really what they associate with it. But there's so much more to it. That's just one aspect of it. And so the part that I've become most aware of and I think been able to help more of my friends with is the isolation, you know, where boyfriends and husbands will start isolating their person, you know? And, you know, I remember talking to one friend and, and we were really frustrated with our other friend where like, she's picking him over us, you know? And we're like, no, we're allowing him to do like allowing that to happen. We can't get away from her. We have to support her because as soon as we say, Oh, it's him or me, she's going to pick him. Cause she, I'm air quoting right. on pick um, because of that lack of choice. And so we're going to lose her. Like she's going to lose that you know, those means of support. So we can't put ourselves in that scenario where we make her make that choice. So I think those are the conversations I've had more are, are that isolation piece because it's so insidious and it's so, you don't even can realize that it's happening, you know, because it's a slow process and they can just sever every connection you have in your life until you're alone. Right. Um, do you have to utilize some of those skills? Um you know, with your work now, you know, are you able to pick up on situations that may be going on at home with some of the girls? One of the things we do talk about a lot at Girls on the Run is making it a safe place. You know, so we do, we talk about this in coaches training where girls might say things to you that make you really uncomfortable. And some are like funny, like, oh my gosh, I didn't think she was going to say that. And some are more serious. And we talk first about reaction. You know, we say, this, whatever this girl is talking about, it might make you super uncomfortable in that moment. But the fact that she's telling you this is important. It means that she trusts you and you've made girls on the run this safe place where she can tell you that something's going on and that she needs help. Um, 
but in our program, we're really not like a crisis management right. program. So, so we work with our coaches when they identify that kind of thing, they reach out to the council and then we'll work um, with this, with schools, with social workers, with child protective services, whatever steps we need to take to hand it off to the proper thing. Cause we're, we're like I said, we're not crisis management. Um, but occasionally these things have come up and, and, you know, it's on us, it's our responsibility to make sure that that situation gets resolved. Right. Um, in Tampa Bay, we, you know, have a really great um, network of, you know, we've got a the crisis center mm-hmm. and then we also have the spring, mm-hmm. which are really good resources for, you know, women and children and, and men too. I mean, it's not just, you know, domestic violence isn't, just men against women. It can be the other way around as well. Although we do know that just because of the way our societal norms have been, it tends to be men controlling women. Um, so that's super great, you know, that we have those resources here. What do you suggest, um, you know, or what tips can you give to my listeners who maybe are noticing something with one of their friends and a relationship that they're in or, you know, a kid that they, you know, know in the neighborhood. Um, I'm definitely going to reference the crisis center here in Tampa. They are amazing. And so wherever your listeners are locally, hopefully there's a resource like that where they can call 211 and they can get connected to someone who, you know, we can't expect ourselves to know how to deal with these very complicated situations, but having someone to talk to you through it is really helpful. So I would say always get professional opinions. Um, I think, you know, we have good instincts, but not always. Um, and then that support piece is so important. So just letting your friends and your loved ones know, like, I love you no matter what. You stay with this guy or don't stay with this guy. I love you. I'm here for you. That, that in, I remember ta- at Lydia's house talking to those women, that was one of the, the key things when they felt like they had support that they could be ready to go. So just not letting that isolation happen because that isolation is just so dangerous. Um, so just being there for your friends, even when you're frustrated with, with, with who they're with, like you still have to continue to be there and support them and let, let them know that you love her just as she is. What happens with the financial piece for women and families that are going through uh, domestic violence or you know violence in the home? outside the home, whatever, when, when they are trying to leave. Right. And we know that the, the monetary aspect of leaving is one of the biggest hurdles for a mm. lot of people. And so what happens, um, with that, in that scenario, how, how does, uh, a program like Lydia's house, um, crisis center, what have you, what, what resources are there for those women? Oh, so that that's tricky. I might have to to not go into that one as much because I'm not I'm not the super expert again. I, I was more in the development role, um, and so in my experience, it it was just so every woman was so different that went through it. Right. Um. Like we had some um immigrant women that their abuser kept their like their documents that they could work, and so they couldn't work until they could prove that you know they were there legally, and and that process could take up to two years to get this documents for them, which is crazy that it would take that long. Um, so that was an issue. We had some women where their abusers ran up incredible amounts of debt in their name oh. and they were responsible. They were legally responsible for paying that back. Right. Um, and so it, it, it totally, totally varies, I would say. So I, I don't want to 
go into too much detail because I'm sure. definitely not the expert on that one. Sure, sure. Um, how did you find Girls on the Run? Ooh, so I found Girls on the Run um, when I, so when I was getting my master's, I wanted to get some board experience because I was like, this is really important, um, you know, to be like a well-rounded, like ultimately executive director. And so I just started looking for local nonprofits that I thought would be interesting. And I met with a couple and then I found Girls on the Run just online. I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) what? (laughs) This is my two loves. And I, I remember I called the executive director who, now that I know Girls on the Run, and this was in St. Louis, Girls on the Run St. Louis is huge. They serve 7,000 girls a year. I mean, they they are very, they're, they're massive. They're an incredible nonprofit. And, um, I called and now that I, I know how big that organization is, I know that this was rare. I got the executive director on the phone. She's the one who picked up, which normally doesn't happen. No, there's a couple Mm -hmm. layers before you get to her. Um, but again, it was one of those universe things where I was like, basically like, hi, I'm Laura. I want to be involved. (laughs) And she said, that sounds great. Um, I remember we went out to coffee. I learned all about girls on the run. I said, this is so incredible. I want to be a part of it. And they actually had a young professionals board um, that was just a perfect fit for what I was trying to learn about and trying to do. And so I joined that, um, ended up uh, chairing their big fundraiser that the, that the young professionals board would do. And like, I just loved it. I became their like super volunteer for the next three <laughs> years. I mean, anything they asked me to do, I did it because I just loved it. That's great. How do, how do people generally you know, this is something I think about for me, right? How do, how do people generally get on the board of a nonprofit? How does that all work? I mean, your experience, I think, is maybe a little bit different than, than most because you mm. did get her on the phone, right? And, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how would somebody who's interested in, you know, gaining that experience, maybe just so that they could feel like they're giving back, right? Um, uh, how do you go about that? Um, so typically I want to say board members, um, this is, I guess this is like their best, best practice is board members will kind of figure out what skill set they need for their organization to develop more. Do they need legal expertise? Do they need someone in marketing? Do they need someone with, um, accounting, you know, expertise to be their bookkeeper? And so boards will figure out what skill set they need and then they'll work within their networks to kind of find that person and then invite them, you know, have them go through an application process and then bring them onto the board. That's kind of a best practice. Um, when Girls on the Run, when we started here in Tampa, we didn't we didn't ha- yet have a board when I first started. We'd just gone through a big transition. And so we, ne- we were starting from scratch. So it was really easy to say, okay, we need like this skill, this skill, and this skill. Let's go get it. And so um, reached out through just kind of any contact we had. Did you know anyone who could do this who might be a good fit for Girls on the mm-hmm. Run? And then got the most amazing six women together on, onto, you know, the board that we had that we started in end of 2014, um, to, to be on that board. So that we kind of started from scratch. So it wasn't board member selecting. It was just kind of sure me doing it and, and, um, a couple others, but really that's, that's how, that's how we started. But in general, I think board members are in theory supposed to kind of self-select, um, okay. new members. So what would you suggest to myself or listeners who want to try and get on a board? Ah, I, I fully, I wholeheartedly recommend being on board. It's such a great leadership experience. Um, so it's definitely good to do. Um, really, so you can't, you definitely, you can't just reach out and say, hey, I'm interested. Most nonprofits will have um, a process for putting you like in the applicant pool. Um, 
another good way is just find out what you're passionate in and then use your network and say, I'm looking to join a board. This is my skill set. This is how I think I can help. Who do you know? And just start talking to people. Um, I think that's a really good way is just using that network word of mouth because nonprofits, you know, most nonprofits are small, don't have big marketing budgets. Say, hey, you know, we have this ad campaign. We need new board members. But most of it really is word of mouth. Right. Okay. Um, I, it's one of those things where you don't, it's kind of elusive, right? You, you hear about people being on boards and you mm-hmm. never really know how they got there. I know a lot of people end up there because they decided to just start volunteering yeah, with an organization. Um, when I was in Massachusetts, I was a, um, this is so not going to surprise anybody listening. I was a volunteer, um, at the Quincy Animal Shelter in Quincy, Massachusetts. And I was one of the, the dog caretakers. I was a dog walker. And, <laughs> and I fell in love with that. I mean, it was, I, I have the two cats, as everyone knows, but I grew up with dogs, cats and everything. So it gave me like the dog time that I wanted. And it was at a particular point in time for me where I was kind of in like a low point and it, it, it helped, you know, give me a little brightness. And um, after being there for a little bit, there was, um, I met the, the president of the board or chair of the board. I forget what you call it. And she was like, we need to get you on this board. And they were starting to groom me. And then I got this job down here. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, that didn't end up happening, but it was, you know, really interesting to even think about being on a board. I never thought about it that, Mm -hmm. you know, you hear about, And it's different than the board of, say, like a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. um, Which, again, you hear about people randomly being appointed to the board of a company. You're like, how does that happen? Yeah. How do I get that gig? Um, (laughs) But, you know, um, so it's been really interesting for me trying to decide, like, where to put that energy for myself, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And there are some really interesting organizations. Girls on the Run has always been one that I've like looked at because when I first learned about it, I was like, what is this? And unfortunately with the, the profession that I have being able to leave at the time to be like a coach or something has never Mm -hmm. really worked, but let's talk about that a little bit. What do, what do people talk a little more about the program and um, what the volunteers do, what the program is for the, for the girls and like how it's structured. Yeah. So our program, it is, I'm going to start kind of big and work my way down. Um, and it is so much more than running. Our kind of fancy classification, it's called PAPYD. And that stands for physical activity based positive youth development. And so the physical activity part is the running part, but we are not a competitive running program. Skip, jump, dance, hop. It's all about going forward. So for us, running is just the tool that we use. It's not our end goal. Um, and then positive youth development is really the key part of Girls on the Run. And it kind of has two pieces to it. And the first piece is our starting assumptions. Other programs can take very negative assumptions, especially of girls, where they start with what's wrong. Like, what's wrong with these girls? They're broken and need to be fixed. And our starting assumption is the complete opposite. We start with what's right with our girls. They're not broken. They're not defective because they're girls. They're just not done growing up. You know, like it's Mm -hmm. just they just don't know who they are and who they want to be yet. So it's not up to us as adults to like save our girls from themselves. It's up to us as adults to guide our girls through growing up in a positive way. That's kind of like the big look of our program. 
Um, oh, and then the other part of PY versus being problem free. Um, so like, do you remember Dare from growing yeah. up? Yeah, I, yeah. Every, everyone remembers that. Uh, say no, like keep kids off drugs. That was the only thing they dealt with. But as girls grow up, the list of things they have to deal with now, <laughs> it's terrifying, you know? Like girls in elementary school deal with what we dealt with in high school. And so we want our girls to be ready for anything versus avoiding like one problem at a time. You know, there's not enough hours in the day to take a program on bullying and a program on gossiping, a program on this. Right. And so girls on the run, we help girls figure out who they are, what their values are. And then we teach strategies to stick to those values so that no matter what comes up, she can make that good, healthy decision for herself. I know so many adults who need this. Yeah, there's, um, I was joking about this the other day. There's, there's a, a lesson we do. It's probably, I think, the most powerful lesson among many powerful lessons, but it's on, it's on empathy. And it's this really amazing exercise on how, like, how to actually practice empathy. And I just want to put like every adult I know through this program, you know, or through specifically through this one lesson, because empathy is a skill. You do have to learn how to do it. And in our increasingly kind of, chaotic world, I feel like that skill is getting lost a little bit. And so I love that lesson. I just, it, it's definitely one of my favorites. There's another lesson um, on the website. You can look at a, a sample, mm-hmm. you know, lesson. And the one that's up there right now is on balance. And when I saw that, I was like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I know like, I don't know, a thousand adults who need that one lesson, right? Yeah. Like, so it's so good to be giving these um, young girls the foundation mm-hmm. pieces that they're going to need yeah. going forward. How does the program run? So it's a 10 week program um, and teams meet twice a week for those 10 weeks. And all of our curriculums were an evidence-based um, programs so were based on principles from elementary education and best practices from, from positive youth development research. Um, and we do have multiple curriculums, so girls can go through our program multiple times, uh, but we change up like the games and activities, so it feels like a fun, fresh thing. But in general, each season is laid out the same. So our first few weeks, we call it all about me. And that should really help our girls get that sense of who they are and what's important to them. So like a good sample lesson in this first part would be about self-talk right? Both negative and positive to recognize when you're doing it, how you're doing it. And, you know, do you need to recognize that this is positive and this is good? Or are you having negative self-talk and how can you change it to positive self-talk? Again, you're giving me that look like I need that lesson right now. I was just thinking, (laughs) and welcome to therapy uh, session number one. Yeah. You know, like, again, so many adults. So to have that skill set early on is so important. And man, do (laughs) do I wish that you know, 30 years ago, I had that, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I, I feel like now when you turn on any, you turn on any movie, any TV show now, and there will be a beautiful actress who's telling herself that she's ugly, that she's awkward, that she's fat. And I mean, that really has an impact growing up when you see, oh my gosh, this beautiful actress is, you know, like considering herself not pretty enough or not whatever enough. And we're like, oh my gosh, if she's like this, then I must be bottom of the barrel. You know, like, I mean, I still feel that way as an adult sometimes. And I have to remember, remember my girls on the run lesson. Right. Well, I mean, and, and it's not even in the media, right? It's what our girls learn from us as aunts, friends, parents, right? And, and what we are saying to ourselves when we're looking in the mirror and one of the little girls is near us, right? And 
um, understanding that the way that we treat ourselves yeah. is going to be something that that they see as well, especially if they do think that there's a, a difference in how it will take looks, how they look compared to how mom looks, right? Yeah. If they don't think they're as pretty as mom and mom thinks mom's ugly, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be going down a hole real quickly with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, when, how do, how do volunteers get involved with Girls on the Run? Ah, um, so lots of ways. So like we talked about coaching, there's all, we always, um, need coaches here in Tampa. We have about 150 incredible volunteers, uh, this season. I mean, these women are amazing. They're so passionate about Girls on the Run. They really believe in the mission. They are willing to give their time, their talent, their energy, their patience to our girls. And I mean, it's an incredible gift that they're willing, that they're willing to sacrifice so much for these girls. Um, so coaching and with coaches, you know, we give them a full curriculum. So how to do it, how to, what to say, how to set it up, um, all the materials that they need. We, we try to make it shovel ready so that really, you know, we're only asking, we're quote unquote, only, only <laughs> asking of their time. Right. Um, do they need to be a certified coach in order to do this? They will need to go through girls on the run training and girls on the run does. They, we probably, I, maybe the last year and a half or so introduced a national coach training that is just phenomenal. It's, it has both online and in-person elements to it. And even when I went through it, being trained on, on, on how to administer it, I just, I found it to be a, like a life-changing five hours. You know, there's an activity we do to put you back into the mindset of being eight years old. Mm -hmm. And I, and I found myself being eight years old again and just remembering exactly what it felt like. And I, I couldn't believe that in this really simple exercise that we do, that it made that profound of an impact on me, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we do, we do it an incredible girls on the run training and give them support throughout the whole season. And to be a coach, you don't have to be a runner or, you know, be a teacher or be a mom. You know, you just have to want to be a role model for girls. That's awesome. Um, how are the other ways that they can volunteer? So here in Tampa, so every council is a little different, but here sure. in Tampa, we have like one day opportunities. So like we'll need help with our 5K and we'll need help with, um, you know, we do, we're doing an, a water station tomorrow at St. Pete Run Fest and they're donating, you know, to our scholarship fund in exchange for that. So we will always have like just kind of one day things that come up. Um, we also have a program called Soulmates um, and that is where men and women can run a race, any race that they want to raise money on behalf of Girls on the Run. Uh, so we also have a couple, as nonprofits, do we have committees? So we, ha we here have a race committee and that's about 10 also amazing volunteers. So we meet once a month, except for summer, we take summers off to plan two, you know, pretty huge, or I think they're huge, Girls on the Run events. Um, here when we do ours over in St. Pete, you know, but we'll plan two events for 1,500 people twice a year. You know, yeah, which that's is, great. Which is a lot. Of, and these volunteers are, they meet after work and we meet on weekends and they show up at the race site at 4 a.m. to set up, <laughs> which is early. Really early. <laughs> and they do that because they love it and, and they believe in it. And again, they're they're so talented. You know, everyone has a role and and they're willing to share their time and their talent with us. For um, anybody interested in working in the running world, this sounds like a really great opportunity to get some experience um, under their belts in race operations and mm -hmm. in planning and things like that. I mean, there are really large, you know, I think of like New York runner, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, road runner, ra racer. I don't know the name yeah, of it. Yeah. 
the big one, um, you know, and these other, you know, major running companies that put races on. I mean, and we don't, when we, one of the things that I've been trying to do with this podcast is to open up the world of sport um, mm-hmm. so that people could see all the varying ways that they can get involved. And yeah. there are these companies that their full-time job is planning and putting together and executing very large races. Yeah. And so this sounds like a really great opportunity for somebody who really loves to run or under loves the running culture, mm-hmm. right? And also, you know, wants to have the benefit of empowering young girls. Um, but to get that, that, um, experience in, in the operations side. Definitely. And fun fact, girls on the run is the largest 5k series in the country by number of events. And so there are about every year, 350 girls on the run 5k that all need help. You know, they all need assistance to, to pull those off. And, and they do, they totally range from very, you know, very small councils of how we'll have 200 runners. To, I know girls on the run St. Louis, they'll have close to 8,000 runners, which is a massive event to put on. Right. Um, so definitely that is a really good way to get involved and see the logistics of it. Yeah. And, you know, even if you're not someone who is a runner or really interested in, say, running culture, just the logistical side of anything like putting on a, ma- a big race mm-hmm. is really good for event operations yeah. experience for other types of events, you know, even it, let's take the football side, you know, putting on, um, the different events and the pregame stuff that, that we do for football games, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, just for those listening, you know, I want to try and, and tie some of this to like good things that will help in the future. If you're thinking of going into one of these types of positions, which are really cool positions because you get to see things from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Um, and put them on. So um, that's, you know, a really interesting way to get involved. And then I know that you need people to, so explain what the 5Ks are and, and, and how they connect with the, you know, program generally. So the 5K is really the culminating experience of our curriculum. And it's, it's really critical for two reasons. And the first is goal setting. Because we start on day one. We're like, okay, girls, we're going to run a 5K. <laughs> and a lot of them will look us in the eye and are like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, I can't do that. I'm not a runner. I'm a girl. You know, I, no, 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 no. And we say, you can do this. You know, our, so our great big goal is 3.1 miles. But our goal today is one lap. Maybe our goal next time is two laps. And so it's this very tangible way to understand if you have a big goal You have to get there one step at a time. So really completing that 5K gives girls that framework for setting and achieving goals that, you know, will translate across all areas of their lives. And then, of course, the second thing at the 5K that happens is they cross the finish line. Mm -hmm. And so I know you're a runner. And so I know you know that feeling is the most incredible feeling, you know, and it really is this transformational moment girls. And so as a runner, this is what brought me to Girls on the Run. Part of this was I think running is the best way to build confidence because for your confidence to be like true and long lasting, it has to come from within. Like you have to accomplish something. If your confidence is based on people on the outside telling you like, you're pretty, you're special, you're wonderful. As soon as someone says you're not like, which they will in third through fifth grade, you know, 
um, it's all gone. You know, that confidence is gone. And so with running, you know, you can give someone a training plan and a water stop and you can run next to them, but you can't make them go. You cannot make another person go forward. And so when our girls put one foot in front of the other for 3.1 miles and gets herself across that finish line, I mean, it's the most, I mean, it's the most incredible moment. I mean, you'll see girls are crossing, they're tired, they're sweaty, they're hot, and they cross that finish line. Eyes are bright, shoulders are back. I mean, they they become, I don't want to say like a new person, they become the person that they should be in that moment. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things where um, when we're younger, we all do this stupid mile test, right? And mm-hmm. it's the worst day of gym class <laughs> ever for most people. And 3.1 miles is just enough that a lot of people haven't done it. Mm-hmm. And to be able to say, I ran 3.1 miles at that age. And, you know, I mean, even if part of it's walking, you know, like you still finished it. And, and I love the putting one step in front of the, you know, in front of the other, like you to, to have the mindset of just keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you're just moving forward, like mm-hmm. in anything that you're doing, I think is so great. Um, that's my little, that was my little mantra to myself when I did a marathon in 09 and uh, it was not great, but, um, there was a lot of walking, but it was just keep moving forward, just Mm -hmm. keep moving forward. And so sometimes I know when I'm going through something tough, it's like, just keep moving forward. Like that's all that matters. You know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's such a great lesson for them to learn. Um, and it, it also, um, provides another opportunity for people to volunteer or, you know, just to kind of show support for the girls so that they know that, you know, there are people there that, that care about their progress and moving forward. Right. Yes. Like I like one of the things I love is now that we're big enough, we actually close down streets. Um, when we were smaller, we, we, we used to just do it on a, a community college campus. We didn't have to do that, but I like the message to our girls, like you are so important we are shutting streets down for you. There's police out here for you. There's, you know, we have a hundred volunteers out here. We have volunteers that show up so early to get water ready and get your shirts ready. Like these, they all care about you specifically. And I think that that's just such a powerful message. And for those people who are runners, mm-hmm. um, they can actually run with the girls. Yes. So our, so this will differ again, council by council, right. but here in Tampa, um, it is open to the public. And one of the things I tell people about the girls on the run 5k is it's the best for new runners because it's not intimidating. Mm-hmm. You know, no, we don't chip time our race. And so no one is out there trying to knock you over to PR, <laughs> you know, yeah. like they're all out there because they want to, you know, support girls. So, and you'll never get more high fives out on the course than you will at a girls in the run 5k. I mean, that's just, a right. um, so it's really good for new runners because it's so supportive and it's really good for veteran runners. Because of, I always tell veteran runners, I'm like, come run our race and stay at the finish line because these girls crossing that finish line will remind you of why you run. Like, that's the feeling that we're always chasing. Like, that's why I run in August, like, because I'm trying to get at that feeling of just absolute. So terrifying. (laughs) August running in Tampa. (laughs) Yeah, it's awful. But that's like that feeling of just like almost like transcendent joy is like the feeling, the moment like I'm always trying to get when I go when I go for a run. Where? um. Where do you, for your career, see yourself, you know, going forward? Like, what are your, your next goals? You've done some amazing things in the four years that you've been with Girls on the Run in Tampa Bay. You've, you know, gone from six locations to 28. 
40. 40 now. Yeah, 40. Yeah, we have 40 this season. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we do. <laughs> but yeah, we have. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we... I, Sorry, I'm slipping on my thoughts. Um, but I'm going to go back to my original answer. What do I want to do? I want to save the world. <laughs> um, way back to that that poster in my college dorm room. Um, but I, I really, I really love Girls on the Run. I, I really think I found my skill set that works in building something. Um, so when I started, like you said, Girls on the Run was really small. We were going through a big transition. And, and again, I haven't done this alone. Um, but I, I like to think I've been a good catalyst for a lot of these things and put a lot of time, sweat, and tears into this. Sure. Into building it. And so, you know, I started, we had six locations. Now we have 40. So, you know, we'll serve 1,200 girls this year, which is amazing. That's amazing. You know? um, and we've done a lot of things just organizationally to build. So, you know, instituting more support for our coaches, getting a board, um, even, you know, very basic business stuff like having a like having a budget. Like we didn't have a budget before, <laughs> you know, like things like that were that were really fundamentally important for business. And so um, I want to see Girls on the Run here in Tampa continue to grow and continue to be a very stable organization. Because in the past, um, Girls on the Run, again, this is just here in Tampa, the organization wasn't super stable. Um, and it, it had a little, when I moved here and took the job, it was a, a little chaotic. You know, my mm-hmm. first day, no one could tell me what our 501c3 number was, which is a scary moment yeah. <laughs> in the nonprofit world. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> um, we need to know what that is. So, um, so continue to see it grow and be stable and sustainable. You know, so we have a really great scholarship program now. Like 53% of our girls receive financial assistance from Girls on the Run to do it um, here in Tampa. But we're very cognizant, myself and my board, of we don't all we don't want to offer a girl a scholarship one year unless we know we can sustain it for future years. So in our expansion, we've been very careful and very mindful about how to do that. So for me, I would love to see Girls on the Run grow. You know, we have such growth opportunity. Hillsboro is the ninth largest school district in the country. Pinellas is the 21st largest school district in the oh my country. Gosh. I mean, they're, they're massive. And those are two of the four that we serve. So for my goal is to get every single girl across greater Tampa Bay enrolled in Girls on the Run. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, you So you do four. You do Pasco, Pinellas, Hillsboro, and... Sarasota. Sarasota. Okay. Um, that makes for an interesting... Uh, mix of, you know, um, diversity and, mm-hmm. and, um, household types and things like that. Do you, do you find that having that, um, breadth is A, difficult and, and or B, really beneficial for the girls? So both. It's probably both. One incredible thing about girls, you know, um, it's not just for low income or high risk girls, you know, all girls grow up. So I, 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 in coaches training, I tell the coaches the specifics of what our girls are dealing with might be different, but the themes of what they're dealing with are the same. Right. You know, they all, they're all trying to figure out who they are. Um, they're trying to live up these, to these ideals that are often not realistic. Well, again, not even yet knowing who they are. So what Girls on the Run does for all girls is help them understand their just totally limitless potential. Um, and so for us, I think it's a strength in, in our pro. It does make it difficult because, yeah, wouldn't it be easy if every girl could pay for themselves? Like, right. that, that would be great. <laughs> That'd be easy, but that's not realistic. That's not the world we live in. And so um, I'm really tremendously proud. That's one of the things I'm probably most proud about is our diversity of sites. You know, we have 
um, Academy of the Holy Names, which is a really, a really well-off school here in Tampa Bay. It's an incredible school, um, but, but a fairly affluent school. And we have a school, Claremont Elementary, which is a Renaissance school in Tampa. I don't know. Do you know what Renaissance means? No. And they're basically, they, they have extremely high rates of poverty at this school. They're almost 100% free and reduced lunch. And most of these kids also qualify for free breakfast. These literally, their families can't afford to feed them breakfast and lunch. Um, so very, very high rates of poverty at that school. But again, we have teams at, at each of those schools. And all of those girls are benefiting from learning these life skills. So even though their home lives and their school lives and their friend lives might be super different, um, you know, they're all getting really what they need out of Girls on the Run. That's awesome. What is your typical day like in your, in your job? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, oh, buckle up. This is hard. As every, every day is different, but it goes in cycles. I would say now that I've done this for almost, almost four years, I kind of know when, when I'm going to be in an up cycle and when I'm going to be a little bit lower. So um, every day I probably I do a check on the program. How are our coaches doing? Are there any issues at sites? Uh, that need to be worked out. So that's like working on our current sites and then I'll work on our future sites. So do we have any new sites that need to be onboarded? What does that take? Do we have paperwork into the district? And do we have the scholarships that we need for that site? Do we have the coach training? Do we have background checks? Do we have CPR um, on that? So kind of focusing on current sites, then future sites, um, then our 5K event because we do we do two. And so right now we're less than, oh, we're like three weeks away. Yeah. So I'm pretty deep in, in, deep in the weeds, as I say, at our 5K. So. Um, right now, like I'm working on street permitting, you know, like we have to get all the businesses to sign off and get those notarized and, um, you know, working on volunteer placement. We'll have about a hundred volunteers that day. So working on getting those volunteers placed, getting all the supplies that we need, all kinds of, you know, logistics for the 5k. Um, and then I'll work on fundraising, you know, that's usually an everyday type project. So, um, you know, so this season we, we gave away. $30,000 $30,000 worth of financial assistance. That's just in one season. Um, and we're, we're a staff of one and a half. I have myself and a part-time program manager. Um, All right. So we have, so we have, a, we have high numbers that we have to hit. And, and our community has, our community and our board have been really awesome in helping us hit those numbers. Um, but working on grant proposals, working on sponsors, you know, making sure our sponsors do feel connected to our, to the girls, you know, and that they, they really see where their funds are going. That's true for all of our funders. Um, so I'll work on fundraising. Um, and then what else? I'll do any kind of management stuff. So, you know, do we, do I have to pay for our storage unit? You know, do I need to, um, work on our website? Clearly I do right. <laughs> need to update that well, website. Well, actually that might've been your LinkedIn. I, I take oh. it back. <laughs> so never mind. <laughs> yeah. So now I'll add that to my list. So I will update the LinkedIn. Great. I'm um, giving you more work. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all kinds of stuff. Um, so, and then I'll do site, so like to put site support visits and go see the girls and, and be with them and be with the coaches. Um, so they really feel truly supported by girls and they're not just getting emails from us that they have face to face time with us. So yeah. every, every day is, is different and enjoyable for me. What do you think the, the skills that make you successful are? Um, oh gosh. A, my positive, my positive attitude. Oh my gosh. She's such a bouncy person. (laughs) So I, here's, here's some background. So my boss leaves a card with a sticky note attached to it on my desk one day that says, you need to meet this woman. And it's Laura's card. You guys are hearing Zoe in the background, by the way. Oh, she's saying hi to Laura right now. (laughs) 
Um, and so I'm like, okay, I've got to reach out to Laura. Well, before I even have a chance to reach out to her on my own, she's reached out to me, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and then so we started a conversation. She's the most energetic, happy <laughs> human being on the phone I've ever spoken to in my life. It's great. And, um, you know, there's just so much like light in you about, you know, this is clearly what you love doing and you're, you're just all in on the mission, yeah. which is phenomenal. I mean, it's so easy, especially in nonprofits to, to get jaded and to kind mm-hmm. of fall away from the mission or to be, to become exhausted by it, I think, especially, yeah. you know, burnout to, is real. Yeah. Yeah. And so for, you know, to, to see this, I mean, and also I just want to say that this is a runner thing, like legit, I'm pretty sure it's because she's a runner and (laughs) there's this bouncy happiness that comes with runner world. Like I just know. (laughs) So, um, yes, your positive attitude is definitely beneficial. That has, that has helped. And again, that, that's, that skill that from, from sports of just keep going, you know, cause again, when, when I first took over girls on the run, it was just not in a very stable place. And we did have one really hard conversation when I think I'd been here for maybe two months and it was like, do we just shut this whole thing down? You know, mm. do we need to make that call? Is this, can we do this? Um, and in those moments of doubt where it's like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Like, I, I, I want to cut and run. Um, but just calming down and saying, I can do this. I can do this. And, and like you said, I'm all in, like, I'm not willing to walk away without knowing I've given it my all. And so, so far that's gotten us to a good spot again with, with the help of many supportive others. Um, but for, for me, so with nonprofits, so when I went back and got my master's, um, that was really beneficial because I think, and I probably thought this too, so many people think of nonprofits as like a nonprofit, like, oh, you don't have to worry about money. You're a nonprofit. Um, (laughs) right. Exactly. But really coming into it with like a business mindset, like we did, we're a business, but we have two bottom lines. One is our mission. Are we, are we accomplishing it? And two is are, you know, are we in the black? Like, do we have money? Are we expanding? You know, are we being efficient? Um, so learning those things, like actually learning things like budgeting, like bookkeeping, um, like how to write a grant proposal. Um, those things I found to be really important of like the business, like the business side of things. And I think that's what's enabled us to succeed here too. And not just be, cause you can talk about girls on the run and get like this with these warm fuzzies. And it's like, Oh, it's this amazing program. And it's so joyful. Um, but like, it's a business, you know, like we, uh, we have to think about it that way and, and, and move forward. Sorry, I'm getting awesome. I feel like I'm going on a Michael Scott train of thought here. No, you're fine. Um, <laughs> you're good. <laughs> but really, but like, just like that business aspect to it of sound business principles that enable us to be successful and to serve so many girls. So, um, Will you go back? Will you say the question again? I've really gotten no, like, no, I've this really is great. Michael Scott here. No, I mean this is perfect. You know, having that business, you know, um, mindset is something that a lot of um, a lot of people who start their own nonprofits mm-hmm. forget. Yeah. And um, we see this a lot of times with athletes who want to have their own foundation or something, and mm-hmm. just don't have that. Um, solid background and they just, you know, it's okay. I'm going to put some money in and then I'm going to get other people to put some money in. But basically I want to feed the world and you look at them and go, mm, but that's not enough money, Yeah, you know? And, and again, so having that background, I think is great. I, I've known many different organizations who they've got a great premise and they've got a great um, mission. Right. Mm-hmm. But 
you have to be able to sustain and pay for the things you have to pay for. Right. I mean, we all have rent and mortgage and all of that. Well, for an organization that has an office or that has Mm -hmm. a, you know, uh, physical location, you know, let's go back to the shelter, the animal shelter that I worked at, like they still have to pay for rent probably. And they still have to pay for, you know, the litter and the dog food. And there's only so much like it's donated. And so you have to be able to do that. So I think that's great. That's an, those are important skills to have. Yeah. One thing that I have found that girls on the run, um, as a whole, as a whole organization has been amazing about is making sure their employees are paid market value. And I think that is such an important thing. Um, because so many times as women, we think, well, it's good work. I'm just, someone needs to do it. I'll just do it. Right. You know, and, and we, we think, well, it's for the greater good, but girls on the run has been so like, you are a valuable person. You know, you could do other work similar to this and you'd be paid a lot more money. So that's your market value. So we need to make sure that you are being paid what you are worth at girls on the run. And so for me, that's been, I feel like very eye opening. And now I feel like I try to be such an advocate of that. Um, you know, to, to basically everyone I meet, I know there's, there's something going around, it pops up on Facebook every once in a while and it compares like UNICEF. And I think, you know, I can't even think some other random organizations where the executive director of UNICEF makes hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. Right. And people are like, Oh, you shouldn't donate. It's all going to his salary. But it's like, he is, that's like a billion dollar organization. You know, he's being paid his market value. And so I think with nonprofits, um, people need to understand donors and funders need to understand you got to pay people market value so that they'll stay in those jobs and continue to be, you know, effective employees. Right. Um, so that's one thing I, I really, I appreciate so much about Girls on the Mind that they are just adamant about treating their employees that way. That's fantastic. I mean, they're, the, the amount of women in the nonprofit world is actually higher than men in the nonprofit world, which is different than most business scenarios, right? Yeah. And so... Again, you, you see that wage gap issue coming up because of, you know, we want to be of service to people. We want to, mm-hmm. you know, do things for the better good. And because there's no profit per se, you know, and so I love that Girls on the Run does that. Mm-hmm. That's, I didn't know that. And that's really great. And it's a good, you know, um, a good lesson for the young women that you're working with too, mm-hmm. when they, you know, hear that it means nothing to them right now, right. but in 10 years, 20 years, it, it'll mean a lot, you know? Yeah. It's so, I think it's so important. There was um something that the organization did. There was an independent study done. Can you talk oh, about yeah. that a little bit? This was so tremendously exciting. Um, Girls on the Run International, com- um, I guess commissioned is the word, Um, an independent scientific study of Girls on the Run. Um, And so they got about a thousand girls across um, I think they did it across three cities and they compared girls that were in girls on the run for the first time versus girls that were in PE or that were in an organized sport. And they captured every type of demo- demographic. So public school, private school, charter, elementary, rural, urban, I mean, every, like every type of demographic they, they captured across these thousand girls. And the, the results were just amazing. So in the test, they studied girls right before the season, at the very end of the season. And then they went through the summer. As you know, a lot of loss and learning can happen across the summer. Right. And then tested them again. And what they found was the changes that Girls on the Run was making in these girls 
that not only were they improving over the course of 10 weeks, but they were retaining those changes months later, which is so important. Um, and so I think the, the area that girls made the greatest gains in were confidence. So like liking the person that they are and connection. So feeling supported like by their peers and their friends. And I mean, those two skills, you know, going into middle school, third through fifth grade, I can't think of two more critical life skills to get you through middle school as being confident in who you are and feeling supported and connected to people around you. Um, so they found that. What they also found was uh, girls that were like least active at the beginning of the program, they increased their physical activity by about 40%, wow. which is a big number, but not only during those 10 weeks, but again, they retained that change. They were still way more active months later, you know, so it, they really had just totally changed their approach to it. Um, that was another big one. They also found girls that started with below average scores. So, um, things in like confidence, character, connection, competence, um, physical activity, frequency, things like that. So girls that had below average scores increased the most, um, they increased significantly in all of those areas. So girls that need our program the most really benefit the most, which is, I think, pretty amazing. Um, one of the other things that the, the study found was, uh, they found when you teach these life skills so explicitly as girls on the run does, you know, that life skills is they're retained, they're taught, they're like, actually the girls learn them, you know, um, versus in PE or in an organized sport. Like right. they did not find that girls were learning, um, these life skills. So these things like managing emotions, um, uh, making intentional decisions, making friends, helping others, they did not find the significant changes in those other programs, right? Because they don't explicitly teach these life skills. Um, right. We see it as a, it's a, a causal benefit. Right. Like you, a, you can learn life skills right. from playing soccer. Like I know I learned a lot from that, but it took me longer and it didn't necessarily translate into like actual tangible strategies that I could use in my day-to-day -day life. Right. You right. know, the way girls on the run does. So it was one for me, the way I explained it was I've known in my heart that girls on the run works. Like I can, I can tell you hundreds of stories about girls and where they've started at the program. Then when they, when I've, I've seen them months later. Um, but now I know on paper that it works. And I yeah. feel like that's such in our kind of our, our, especially the way school districts are going now, they want much more evidence-based program. They want to make sure that their programs are allowing into their schools are effective. And so now we can say, yes, girls on the run is effective. Here's why, here's how, and here's how long that it makes a difference. Right. Have you um, brought the Heart and Soul program down to Tampa Bay yet? Not yet. We are working on it. Okay. So um, we, we completed a pretty intensive strategic plan about five years ago. Um, and that, that's another part of the business thing that, that we work on is our strategic plan. Um, so right now we're in year four of this five-year plan, which is crazy to think that it's been four years since we did it. And so this year we're looking at what do we need capacity-wise. Um, so what do we need staffing wise? What do we need funding wise to be able to roll this program out successfully? And so what is the heart and soul program? So it's for girls in middle school. Um, and again, it, it teaches life skills through like through our running tool. It's pretty different from girls on the run. Um, I actually haven't yet seen it in action, but I know I've talked to councils um, that have done it and they just love it. It's a really it's a very different approach um, than girls on the run. And, and this is kind of how it was explained to me. Was that, you know, and, and that's because girls in third through fifth grade are so different from girls in sixth right. through eighth grade. I mean, there's a lot, there's so many things that, that happen during those years. Um, but so in Girls on the Run, in the third through fifth grade program, you know, we'll have a topic every day. We'll talk today. We're talking about peer pressure today. We're talking about bullying today. We're talking about this. 
um, and in heart and soul because girls are so different and they're so different among themselves. So like between schools are different and even a school that has two teams, they might be going through very different stuff. Right. And so there is a, a, a really incredible curriculum, but um, it's really, you know, like there's curriculum and there's structure, but it's kind of up to the coaches and the girls to kind of fill in, kind of bring it to life. And so whatever is going on in their world, they kind of bring out of them and put it into the curriculum for the girls. So, um, so it's a pretty different program, but the, I know the councils that have done it are just like in love with it and, and have said the most positive things about it. That's fantastic. I mean, sixth through eighth, again, are those years of just, I mean, that's when we're starting to see um, kids who are, you know, have depression and anxiety and, and these start manifesting in those grades. And then you have all the bodily changes. So um, that's so great. And it'll be really cool to see um, when you can bring that down here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, when um, is your 5K and how can anybody in the Tampa area get involved? So it is December 9th. Uh, it is down at Pointer Park in St. Pete. And we need people to come run it, to volunteer at it. And so to get involved, go to our website, which is gotrtampa.org. Um, and it will say right across the top, looking for 5K information. Click there. And that will, that will take you through the whole day, how to sign up um, as a runner or as a volunteer. And it's such a fun and joyful day. And I'm going to tell one funny story about of it. Of course. Because um, this is just, I feel like this really summed up the attitude of it. The first time we held it in St. Pete, um, we, I mean, it's, I mean, it's so sparkly. Like that, the energy at a girls run 5K <laughs> is, it's so different from any other 5K because it's a celebration. Like we try not to call it our race. We call it our 5K celebration because that's what it is. And uh, the first time that we held it down there, you know, we were, we were nervous because it was the first time we were on streets and, you know, there was just a lot of moving pieces. It was, it was the biggest one we'd ever done. And towards the end of the day, the um, event commander, who was like the, the highest ranking police guy or police officer who was working the event for us, um, he came and found me. And I had, I'd heard on the walkie that he was looking for me. Like, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> why, why is he looking for me? But he came and he found me and um, he's like, he was a pretty stoic guy. And uh, he looked at me, he looked at the park, looked at me again. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is he going to tell me? And he goes, you know, there's a lot of energy in this park right now. And I was just like, yeah, like that's girls on the run. Like for me, that moment really summed it up because it was like, you know, here's this like stoic, like serious guy. And he tracked me down and I'm not easy to find at the 5k. I'm like on the I'm like running laps around the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> he tracked me down to like tell me this, that it, it was just something he was not expecting it to be. I just thought it was so awesome. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, this is like the spirit. This is the energy of girls on the run. Like, it's just, it's the most joyful thing. That's awesome. What do you, um, we're, we'll wrap up in a little bit, but I want to talk a little more about you personally. What do you do um, for yourself to either, um, maintain your own mental wellness or whatever, just to de-stress? Like, do you have things that you do for yourself? Um, so one thing I've done that this has actually really helped was, um, was that finding balance. When we talked about that finding balance lesson earlier, I was like, ah, oh, I need to go back and read that one. Um, is I've, I kind of instituted rules for myself because I work from home most, most days. And so I'll, I thought when I started working from home that the problem would be starting, but the problem is finishing at the end of the day. Sure. 
Um, and so I have rules for myself where I don't check email in bed anymore because I use, would, you know, I would wake up 6 a.m. and I would turn off my alarm and start reading email. Like that is unnecessary. Like no <laughs> one needs to wake up their day that way. Like no one needs an answer that urgently. Um, and so I'm, so I don't check email in bed anymore. Um, and just kind of other little things like that, where I just have like kind of given myself boundaries, you know, at a certain time of night, I have to close my laptop, you know, some days that's earlier than other days, but at some point I have to shut it down. Um, so just being, trying to be mindful about, about that. Um, and then I run, you know, running, running for me, it's my me time. Like we talked about earlier, I don't go with music. So anytime I, I have an issue, I can just go think it out, you know? Um, so running and then just being good with friends, you know, um, I feel like I'm like, I'm an, what's the word? I'm an extrovert. So like I get energized by being around other people. Sure. Um, and so making sure that I don't go six weekends in a row without seeing people, you know, right. like making sure that, um, I, you know, I'm talking and having fun and, and, and when I'm out, when I'm out with people, I don't check my, my email. Cause it's, it's just so hard with smartphones. Like it's always on you. Right. Um, but I put it away. I don't answer the phone, you know? I'm like, it's off business hours. I don't need to check email at nine o'clock on a Friday night. Like there's no need for that. You're like, there's um, not an emergency with, with young girls running at right, nine o'clock no, yeah, on a like, Friday I'm night. Okay. Um, so just trying to be when I'm at work, when I'm at work, I mean, I am, I'm all in my husband. He jokes with me because sometimes he'll talk and I'm like, what were you speaking? Like, cause I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm, my ears just go off and I'm just like focused. Um, but then when I'm not at work, trying to just not be at work. Sure. Um, are you training for anything right now? Oh, I am. So this is exciting. So I'm actually running um, half tomorrow. Um, what? I'm doing the St. Pete uh, Run Fest, which I'm really excited about. Girls Run also has an aid station. So that's another volunteer right. opportunity that we have. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited. It's I, coming off an injury. So it's my first race in a long time. So I'm, I'm really excited to get out there. My only goal is to finish with a smile. Like That's the only goal I have for tomorrow. Man, that's better than my goal, which would be finish. Never mind the smile, <laughs> but that's great. And I didn't know that. Um, and I have chocolate croissants for you. I'm excited about early, those. You got a carbo load. It's great. Yeah, that's true. There you go. Um, and um, do you, you know, runners and food are a big thing. Yeah. So what's your go-to? Like, Ooh, I'm, so I'm a really healthy. That's the other thing I do. I should say to like de-stress myself is cook. I love cooking. Okay. And I cook like my dad and that we don't really use recipes like we do, but we add flair, you yeah. know? And so a lot of times I'll just like see what's in my kitchen and just make something up. And I feel like that's a really good creative. <laughs> we got a cat behind Yeah. Me. So he is like going crazy right now <laughs> behind <know>. her. <laughs> um, that's a really good, just like, um, so I love it. So I'll just tell you my, my breakfast that I have every morning. Yeah. Please. Um, it's, so it's almond milk, mango, walnuts. So it's like frozen mango. Um, walnuts and then a bunch of spinach. Okay. And it's so good. I've never heard of someone putting walnuts in a smoothie. That's oh, interesting. Me. So I'm, I'm a vegetarian. And so, um, there's something, I can't remember what it is in walnuts. I think it's like vitamin D or, or something. Don't quote me on that, but there's something that like, walnuts it's, are good. That it's really good to have walnuts. Oh, that's great. Um, one thing I forgot to ask, and I do want to bring this up, even though I said we were going to wrap up, but I just remembered something. So, mm-hmm. Um, one, my first guest on leveling the playing field was Sally Burgesson at Wazell. And I know that they have a program where they donate, um, a sport, 
dance bras to mm-hmm. middle school girls. And I think they work with Girls on the Run International oh. um, for that. Do you have a, a program or a way that people can donate gear for the girls? Yes. So if you go on our website, gotrtampa.org, um, it will say donate at the top and click there. That will even, that will give you an option to donate uh, money, which we will also accept. Right. And then um, we have our wish list there. Okay. And so in our wish list, you know, it is things that you would expect, like running shirts and shoes and shorts and yeah. things like that. Um, but then just materials we need for our program. So things like bins, markers, index cards, cones, um, cones we need. Oh, my gosh. People um, steal cones. I know that because I used to <laughs> steal them. I'm sorry, but we'd go to these track meets and they'd have these little baby cones at one particular track meet, Falmouth Invitational. Sorry, Falmouth. Um, (laughs) And they would have these baby cones and the baby cones are so adorable. Mm. And as a terrible human being, we would all steal them. So um, I think there I have them like in a bin in my like you would take one that you never take multiple. You would take one and then like write on it. So I think I have them in a bin at my stepfather's house, which is terrible. But so that's important to replace those cones that evil people like me steal. Yes. (laughs) I don't do that anymore, by the way. Um, That's great. I I know that for me, when I was growing up, when I was in high school and we cross country on the cross country and track team. that was one of the the more difficult parts of being on the team was I came from a very low income family and and getting things like sports bras or appropriate shoes. I ran my first um, practice in Converse sneakers. Oh. Yeah. No support in those, by the way. None. Zero. So um, when Sally was telling me about the... Um, I forget what they call the program, but it's great. They just started it maybe like six months ago. And it's it's more for middle school girls. Mm-hmm. So probably Heart and Soul mm-hmm. will be working with it. It's like so the first sports bra type thing and all that. Um, but it's like, you know, it was one of those things where I'm like, I wish I had that, you know, because I remember wearing like, you know, whatever terribly padded bra I thought I could fit into at the age of, you know, whatever, when mm-hmm. I didn't really even need it, you know, yeah. but like my mom wasn't, a, wasn't an athlete. So she didn't know about sports bras. And like, we learned it from our friends there. Yeah. So um, I'm glad that you have that. And so if anybody, um, you know, feels inclined, please go to that website. And um, where else can people follow you as we wrap up here? Uh, so follow our Facebook. So we're at facebook.com slash GOTR Tampa Bay. Uh, this is a really, we post all of our events. We post on there basically every day. We post pictures of our girls, our schools, what's going on in our council, um, any volunteer opportunities we have coming up. So definitely check us out on Facebook. Okay. And is there um, a way for people to follow the overall Girls on the Run? Yes. Yeah, so Girls Run International, um, they also have a Facebook and they also, they have Twitter and Instagram. I think they even have Snapchat now. Um, Just go to the Google webs and you can yeah. find it. Great. Yeah. And um, any parting thoughts, things that you would like my listeners to, you know, think about or do any calls to action? Ooh, calls to action. So here in Tampa, uh, specifically come to our 5K Saturday, December 9th and come see what <clears throat> what Girls on the Run looks like. Come see it, interact with the girls, get a feel for the spirit of it. And then I promise you'll want to get involved and do more. Um, and then just in general across the country, get involved with Girls on the Run. It is a life-changing, critical program 
for all girls. And so there's so many important and needed ways to get involved. So whatever your like skill set is and whatever you're passionate about, there's a home for you at Girls on the Run. So please go make that happen. Thank you so much for being here, Laura. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure my listeners do too. Thank you to Laura for coming to my apartment and hanging out with Jerry and I. Um, This was a really fun discussion and my little runner nerd heart really enjoyed uh, talking about Girls on the Run. It is such a great organization and I I do really wish that um, we had it when I was growing up. I encourage you to um, look into the organization more, maybe volunteer at a local council and or sign up your girls for it. Thank you for listening, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts. I always forget what it's called now. (laughs) Uh, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com. Please follow us. Uh, We are at LTPFPod on the Twitter and the Facebook. Um, And I am at Bobby Sue. Our website is terribly behind, but it will be caught up. I have a long Thanksgiving weekend, (laughs) and that is ltpfpod.com. As always, thanks for listening, and please feel free to reach out with any feedback you have. Bye now. I'm Jerry Petuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. Radio Influence.